gonna, I think most of the crew here is the same, but I'm gonna reintroduce our, our panelists. We have Dave Martin here, who is founder of The Wrecking Crew. He's uh, been doing uh, GM events for cons for how many years now? 15? 20. Okay. Yeah, we, we, uh, we, we figured out. The number keeps 20. getting larger every time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we caught a fish this big. Uh, First the earth cooled, uh, then uh, the dinosaurs, <laughs> then Dave. Uh, and we have Ross Watson uh, with Evil Beagle. Is that, that's right. That's, that's correct. And then uh, we have Lenny Balsera with Evil Hat. Uh, you might know Which is funny because I have the hat. <laughs> um, and anyway, what we're going to be talking about today is what are the qualities that make a good and compelling villain? I use good in the sense of compelling, obviously. And uh, I kind of want to start off with uh, I, like a favorite fictional villain and maybe a reason or two. Oh, yeah. That's I, easy. I, it's easy for me. The operative from Serenity. Ah. Uh, one of my favorite villains in movies ever. And the reason why uh, is because the operative is a true believer. There is nothing hypocritical or dishonest about that character and his motivations. Uh, and that to me, that's one of my personal favorites for like how to make a good villain. Uh, and I can talk more about that later. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so my favorite villain at least for tonight's show. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I change my mind all the time. But my favorite villain for, for, for tonight's particular panel, uh, you learn everything you need to know about this guy in two lines of dialogue, and I love it. It's, it's one of the best introductions of a villain of all time. He says, Commander, tear this ship apart until you've bound me the, brought me those plans, and bring me the princess. I want her alive. Darth Vader tells you everything you need to know about him in two lines. He's, first, he's, he's absolutely ruthless because he has to specify, bring me the princess alive, right? For, second, you know, he's willing to tear the ship apart, which you know, tells you something else. He's destructive. And you know what he wants. He wants the plans and he wants the princess, right? Right off the bat, boom, we're introduced to this really memorable, awesome dude, at least until the prequels, uh, who is one of the greatest villains of all time. So that's one of mine. I'm going to cheat. I have two. Oh, Cheater. I know. You're a villain. I know. Okay, so the first one is Kevin Spacey's character in Seven. Everything makes sense when you look at it from his point of view. Everything makes sense all the way through the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, when he gets shot in the face. All right? Everything makes sense all the way through. Second one, Hannibal. And I'm saying this when I read the books. I love the TV show, okay? But when you read the... When I read the books by Hannibal... Silence of Lambs, Red Dragon, so on and so forth. Utterly amazed every time he shows up, walks away with whatever is happening in the book at that time. Those are my two. Okay. So, all right, let's start going back to and, and kind of going in depth, maybe using your characters as examples. What about those characters makes them so compelling for you, and how does that translate into making? what you would consider to be a good villain in either a role-playing game or story. Mm. Okay, so the operative from Serenity, like I said earlier, is a true believer, right? And what I mean by that is, is that there is no hypocrisy to what that character is, to what they believe in, what they are willing to do for their beliefs. Uh, he never lies during the movie. Everything that he, ever, that he says, right? And he has this conversation with, with Malcolm, where he's like, I truly believe that what I'm doing is helping to create a better world. And I know that because I am a monster that's willing to massacre people that I don't get to live in it. But I believe in that mission so strongly, right, that I'm, that I'm willing to do these things, right? He, has, he, he lays his motivations out on the table. You never question his conviction. You never question... Um, whether or not he's deluding himself, he's utterly self-aware. And I think those qualities make phenomenal villains because all of the best villains do not perceive themselves as being the, the bad guy. Ooh. Right? Like, <laughs> that is a quality that is inherent to... And, like, for me, the operative is sort of, like, the purest form of that, of that thing. I had a character... Um, in, a, in a, a, a far future Star Wars game that I made up. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail. He was uh, basically the, the, the commander of the Sith fleet, the returned Sith fleet. Um, 
and he was Revan when they yeah essentially and when they finally confronted him he said look here's the deal what I'm doing right now is fostering peace in our time and here's the reason why the Empire and the Rebellion have been fighting each other for all these centuries and now I've given them something to really be afraid of so me going around every once in a while knocking over a couple of planets makes these people fight each other less so how awesome is that Right? And like, yeah, that means that occasionally a planet's worth of people have got to die. But you know what? That's nothing compared to how many millions of people die on the front lines of this conflict between these two, these two empires. And during the game, I made it clear that if, essentially speaking, that guy's claim was correct. Right? So that like, you could disagree with them on moral or, or, or ethical grounds, but that's exactly what started happening, right? The Empire and the, and the New Republic or whatever did start, you know, dismantling hostilities, right? They were like, oh my god, these, these crazy Sith are running around like bombarding planets and stuff. We gotta, we gotta put our thing on hold. So the terrible part that the players had in dealing with that guy is that he was right. And yet, still committing these heinous crimes that they had a moral and ethical objection to. Um, and, you know, they had to figure out how, how they, they wanted to handle that. Uh, and it, I, I sort of took a lot from the operative for that person. He never lied to the player characters. Whenever they asked him what his motivations was or what was making him angry or whatever, he told them. He took the Jedi captive for a while and they had a lot of interesting conversations. And it was that. And he was so hard to deal with because it was hard to hate him, and it was sort of easy to see his point of view. And that's... I love that stuff. Okay, this is a little uncomfortable for me, because I have a lot of respect for Lenny, but I'm going to have to disagree with him very strongly on this point. Yes, that's a very compelling villain. But there are different types of villains that can all be very compelling, and the relatable, sympathetic villain is just one of those types. Sure. You can have a villain who is absolutely a heinous monster, who knows what he's doing is wrong and does it anyway. Jack the Ripper, good example. Satan. These are compelling villains. Uh, and there's a third type. There's the implacable force of nature that there is no negotiating with, there's no debate with. If he's a xenomorph from Aliens or if he's Darth Nihilus from uh, KOTOR 2. Or if he's Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Right. There's just, he is what he is. He's not sympathetic, he's not relatable, he's not the operative, but he is definitely a compelling villain. So I, I think there's, I think you're right in the fact that those compelling villains can and absolutely uh, mostly are. Or sure, that's, the that's sympathetic, just my relatable favorite. guy. Yeah. That's just my favorite. Right, but I think, I think there's a broader range there to, to sure. consider. Like That's I, why know, we have three panels. Though. Well, we picked. We both picked like the. You know, I picked Darth Vader. You picked uh, your guy, and they're both very similar. They're both relatable and, and tragic. Um, but Darth Nihilus and, and uh, Satan and, and those guys, Jack Ripper, they're all really great villains too. So you know, there's just different ways to approach it, right? Um, hmm. I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I don't know that my answer is going to So we're still friends, right? Fit fit in well. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is decide what kind of villain you want to have. You know, do you want him to be the believer? Do you want him to be this force of nature? What purpose is that villain going to serve in your story? I I run games, so everything I'm going to talk about is is going to be like that. I I run mostly white wolf games. I talk about werewolves, vampires, things like that. If you don't understand it or you need me to put it in a different framework, throw a rock at me, I'll put it in a different framework. If you decide what part the villain plays in the story, that'll do half the answers for you. Um, The other thing that I recommend is in about two months, used bookstores are going to be flooded with the DSM-R4 T is in Tom, R is in Robert. It is a psychological manual that they use for diagnosing and categorizing um, mental problems. The reason that this can be flooded is the DSM 5's out and everybody's expected to use, use the DSM 5. You will pick it up cheap, cheap, cheap. That will tell you lots of neat things about building a bad guy that has any kind of insanity in it. You can flip through it. I need him to do this. Oh, and it'll tell you all the other things that go along with it. So look for that. But make a villain that makes sense. 
the villain's got to have a hobby, right? Because, I mean, he can't be evil all the time. He's got to, like, I don't know, crochet or something. Uh, well, yeah. You, you, there are characters like Satan and Jack the Ripper. That's pretty much what they do. Well, that's fine. They didn't see it as being evil. I agree. Well, no, I think that's the difference. I, th I think Satan and Jack the Ripper absolutely knew what they were doing was evil, and they did it anyway. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> like, but, he's, like, he's saying the operative sees himself as the hero of the tale. Right. right. And that's absolutely true. And Darth Vader sees himself as the hero of the tale, but there's also guys that don't. Absolutely. But decide what role you want that. And, and you're absolutely right about Jack the Ripper. He, he knew what he was doing. Um, but look at these. Decide what you want to, to fill. Because it's, it's going to be a very important part of your story, right? And so figure out how you want it to fill that story and then build it accordingly. And make it as, and I'm putting it in quotes, as human, as believable. Right, so Jack the Ripper knew he was doing wrong, was doing lots of naughty, naughty things, impacting the world around him in great ways, but he still had to find a way to pay his bills. We don't really know who Jack the Ripper is, although there's been some pretty neat studies on it. You know, how does he pay his bills? What does he do when he's not Jack the Rippering? What, what, what does he do? You know, because when your players interact with this ginormous or very small act of chaos bad guy, there's got to be something for them to do if they just walk up and say, "Hi, Jack. Kill anybody lately?" Well, right? I think I think your point is really good. Like, um, for example, I use Satan as like the heinous monster, right? But what's interesting about Satan is who he was before he was Satan, mm -hmm. right? There's, so there's the con what you're saying is the context outside of them as a villain right. is important. What do they have a soft spot for? Um, I'm watching the Daredevil uh, thing on Netflix. Phenomenal. Okay. Wilson Fisk, it doesn't take long for you to figure out what motivates Wilson Fisk in there. I'm not going to give any spoilers. Everybody relax. Take a deep breath. You'll be fine. Okay? <laughs> but if your bad guy can't be a bad guy just for being a bad guy, he's got to have depth. And I realize Satan and Jack the Ripper. Well, I was going to say the Xenomorph from Aliens doesn't really need depth. It's hungry. Yeah. I, I need a, it, I need a body to put a baby. I'm gonna put my baby <laughs> in your body. Okay, so that's the depth. Right? There's, and it doesn't have to be a whole lot of depth. It means xenomorph, right? That's about that. Depth yeah, there. pretty much. Okay. Yeah, it was, but it's you know what to expect. And if it's a more complex, there you go, more complex villain, nemesis, whatever. Spend some time developing them because I guarantee you, your players, if they're anything like mine, who are vile people. They destroy every story I put before them. Will spend every moment they can trying to find end ways to get around that villain you're putting before them. And the more depth and the more you give them to chew on, when I say more, it doesn't have to be quantity. I'm, I'm talking about quality. The more they will remember that villain. And I think that's what we really want. Um, to this day, uh, one last thing. To this day, if you say the word Catherine, to half of my vampire players. Are there kids in the room? Yes, okay, so their MF comes flying out after that, along with a whole string of expletives after that. And it's because it was potent. And, and regarding the xenomorph from aliens, I mean, the urge to reproduce is a pretty relatable motivation. It's just that the, the, it goes about it in a really unfortunate way, yeah. right? Yeah. But like you can't, you can't knock that base motivation. Uh, at least you, you had a question here. I saw you with your hand up. Yeah, that's right. that's kind of the point. Although yes. I, w I would say that not necessarily more interesting. It's more interesting, often more interesting maybe, but not always. If you make it a difficult task, all right? To this day, I mentioned Catherine. To this day, there are certain of my players that if you say Catherine, the obligatory cuss words, and then the high round of high fives go around because they beat her. And they beat her at her own game. So absolutely... The fall, the death, the defeating, whatever happens to that villain should be every bit as flavorful and tasty as yeah. the villain was itself. There's a, another great example of Star Wars is uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. How many people know who Grand Admiral Thrawn is? Okay, we got a couple of people. So the point about Grand Admiral Thrawn is he was so smart and he was so cultured and he, he would judge 
Is he the art guy? Yeah. He would judge his battle plans off of... Yeah. He would judge his battle plans off of a culture's art. Like, his his critique of their artwork would give him what he needed to know to defeat them. So, you're talking about a very culture guy. This is kind of like Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's, He's so smart you can't help but respect him. And seeing his downfall... Uh, I guess both Moriarty's and uh, Thrawn's is difficult because you you kind of want the smart guy to win sometimes. You want that he's like he, his plan was so good, it just it should have worked. <laughs> well, and, there, and there's this sense too, and I think that, that to me one of the things that I like about about relatable or sort of reasonable villains is that there is this sense, and I think that that points to some of the sadness that you're talking about. Right. That if you had managed the situation another way, yes, maybe you wouldn't have been. Yes. Enemies, right? Yes. Maybe you wouldn't have been antagonists. So I think that there there can be uh, a sadness there. Uh, I I hate that I'm delving into story time so much, but I made up this villain for a game once. Um, <laughs> not too much detail, but basically the player characters included uh, a child of prophecy, basically, who was supposed to do prophetic things. And there was another uh, character in this world who believed and was training for their whole life to fulfill the same prophecy because they believed that they were the child of prophecy and there were certain elements in their backgrounds that were similar, right? And I, as the game master, never said which reading of the prophecy was correct, right? So you had a a guy who was willing to, to, to go to extremes, not operative extremes, but who was willing to, to do stuff to stop the player characters and get in their way and sort of make their lives miserable because he genuinely believed that the other character was the false, was acting as a false child of prophecy. And if they were allowed to continue, it would end the world. And so the players really had a hard time. A lot of the, my players tend to, to kick me a lot for making relatable villains because they're like, can we just hate someone, please? Once There's, There can be something cathartic about can, that. Can we just hate someone? Uh, so they had a hard time with this guy because they were like, man, if he were not so stubborn about his interpretation of the prophecy, we could be working together to, to, to save the world, right? But because he's adamant, we have to... Along those lines, um, I'm a big advocate, and I talked a little bit about this before, there being two types of stories. There's the story that's occurring that the players get drawn into or runs over the top of the players, you know, whatever. And then there's the other story that targets specifically the player. You're the Neo. You're the one. Okay. So with that in mind, if it's, a, if it's a story that... <laughs> a joke never gets old, brother. <laughs> if you're looking at the, the story that's going to run past the characters, over the top of the characters, or draw the characters in, if you put the villain in there and you've spent the time to develop the villain, um, they uh, will be able to find out about the villain and not necessarily want to engage in the story because that means that they're going to have to deal with the villain. And it may mean something like the villain... What's your name? Hi. Yeah, you. Jordan. Jordan? If I'm the villain and you're Jordan and I look at you and I say, do not become a part of this. If you do, you, re- you, you, you could incur a blood hunt. And just so you know, I will be the one the prince sends for you. Do not participate in this. As if, if I'm the villain, I've now given him a very good reason not to come over here in my sandbox and play in my sandbox. And if they go and do research on me as the villain, what are they going to find? And that, in and itself, can become the story, do we really want to go do this? Or because he's such a baguette, we are going to do this. And some of the things that you, you need to have figured out is, how is the villain going to strike out? If I am sent after you on a blood hunt, how am I most likely to do it? Well, I'm going to throw you in a building when you sleep, and I'm going to burn it down around your ears, because that's what I do. Okay? So now that gives a whole new texture to the villain. Um, look at... I talked about hobbies. You know, they, they can't be villains all the time. What's their hobby? What do they do? What do they have a soft spot for? I'm going to get in quotes. Make them more human, like you were saying, Lenny. Relatable. Well, I think what uh, this young lady was talking about here um, is tragedy, right? And I I love a good tragic villain, absolutely. Darth Vader, fantastic tragic villain. And it's that feeling of sadness that she described that we see at the end of Return of the Jedi when the helmet comes off and you think, you know, if only this had happened sooner, 
right. father and son could have spent more time together, etc. You know, there's there's a powerful moment there of emotional impact because he's a tragic villain. Um, and that's the only thing I really want to say about that. Yeah. And you have to get to your players through your villains because otherwise they're not going to get hooked. They're not going to buy in. Well, a, a good villain is, in my opinion, one you want to punch in the face. Yes. If yeah. you if you if you give me a reason to want to oppose this guy to get you know to say no, he's not going to succeed. Right. No matter what. And that's and that's where you're right. Like it can be cathartic to have a. I, I think that like. The less relatable a villain is, the more primal of a of a, an instinct they have to appeal to. Like when you're talking about the xenomorph and aliens, right? All of those people are just trying to survive, right? And that's what makes that struggle interesting because survival is this such right. a this base. But I never feel bad about shotgunning an alien, right? right exactly, I never right, ever exactly. ever feel bad right, about right, that. Like, oh, he was a person with lives and feelings, and he had dreams. I'm like, no, he wanted to eat me in a really nasty way. I just shot him with just a freaking shotgun. Just because you're unwilling to help with daycare. <laughs> <laughs> no alimony, please. Uh, um, uh, but that's what, but that's what I mean, right? Is that like is that you don't feel bad about it because I feel good about it, right? But you feel good about it because they've they've sort of pushed you that that villain pushes you sort of down, you know, I guess you could call it Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever, right? That, like, you're sort of at the base. Like, the, the things that that person wants to take from you right. are these really foundational yeah. Or things. things that they're going to do and you feel that you got to stop them. Right. From doing. One more thing. Um, I, I want to talk about myself here. I, I put together, I spent a long time making this villain. I thought I was the coolest villain in the world. And I sent it after my, my, my group and they really were not impressed. I was like, ha ha, villain comes and gets you. And they're like, ha ha, we don't care. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the villain. It's Bob the villain. He's here to get you. They don't care. But, uh, okay. What they did find utterly reprehensible was the taxi cab driver that they would not, that would not give them a ride when Bob the villain showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I give you Bob and you go after the taxi guy? <laughs> so This cannot because, stand. I know. This fair cannot stand. So just because we think it's, we the storyteller, writers, whatever we are, just because we think it's a good idea doesn't mean that your players will. Right. The and the if they don't, it's okay. Let Bob die, flush him, and go to the taxi driver. The antagonist in your game, and in, in a story, if you, if you do stories, but in your game, remember, is always the person who is most directly opposed to the player's goals or who makes it the most difficult for the players to get what they want. Or the protagonist. If or the protagonist if you're talking about an actual story. Marshall's not here anymore. We're going to have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> Screw uh, that guy. Uh, we, had a, we, had a, we had a fantasy novelist. In the no, seriously, we love Marshall. I'm just, I'm joking. That's, I'm absolutely joking. That's a joke. Uh, uh, yeah, um, but uh, a couple people are going to walk out here going, "Wow, wow he's, this a real, is, he's a real jerk man. to that guy." I know. Um, I, I don't villainry. Go, right. go buy um, his book, everybody. Yeah. Sorry, Lenny. I'm going to have to disagree with that yeah. um, because sometimes the players will just decide that this is the path they're going to have to go to or, and they'll go through anybody to get there and when that happens you, you just got to kind of roll with the punches doesn't that make everyone their antagonist well i think in a, in a role playing game you can't always predict <laughs> you great that's you can't all always at. predict what the players are going to respond the most right. to in terms those, of a those villain taxi cab drivers i right. tell you i that's had it, i had my uh, i had my godzilla Right, basically, for lack of a better word, in uh, Shadows Angeles, which was this enormous entity that was going to stop the city flat. And that was supposed to be the big villain. But there was another guy who would, who would show up whenever you said his name. Kind of like Beetlejuice, if Beetlejuice was evil. And my players were like, yeah, Grosseroth, he's bad. Like the Godzilla guy, he's bad. But this dude who shows up whenever his name is called, we hate that guy. Right. We just really hate that guy. And I was like, all right, so... I put out the two things, and they want option B. I wanted option A. I'm going to go with option B right. and make this guy a little more prominent. You know, he's, now he's got a bigger role. That's was Clyde, there, his uh, taxi driver. Is that how you know? <laughs> that's, that's all I was getting at. Is is that is that sometimes as a GM, when you have a villain in play, you have to watch out for those moments when the players decide that that villain is not actually their antagonist. Well, this happens, and then adapt. Accordingly, this right? happens in pop culture. I mean, Boba Fett, great example, 
right? He's just a side character, but he turns into like a most interesting villain of all the Star Wars fans. Like, oh, who's this guy? We want to know more about Boba Fett. So, you have a question. One way to make him, one okay. way to make him a hated villain, take something from your player. Oh God. Take sure. something that they want to this. It can day, be the smallest thing. To this day, I have one character who will not love anyone in a game. I finally got him to to, to take in a ward, and I, I totally did the Dick Grayson. Totally killed him. And to this day, and it's been eight years, I try to like sneak an NPC close. He will now just shoot the NPC <laughs> in the leg. <laughs> I'm not taking it, man. <laughs> Questions. This 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 gentleman. Both. I don't know which one of you went up first. So Marvel you can like stick first. fight. Okay. I'll, 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 Thunderdome. Going back to where you were talking about like the villain approaches the the uh, yes. heroes and you know pretty much gives them the ultimatum. Yeah, you really do have to pretty much give enough of a bait because of, I actually ran into that recently where a character approached the party and they really needed to go to this wizard's tower and he's like, hey, stay the hell away from the wizard tower or I will wage an entire war against you and you will be a traitor to the entire realm forever. And to which the party responded, yeah, that seems reasonable. <laughs> That's no tower for us. <laughs> oh. Okay. And so at that point... <laughs> It could be that their former master, lord, benefactor, whatever, that they were lord McGuffin for. Right. right. Yeah, who sent him to the wizard's tower? Uh, yeah, now becomes the new in me because I hired you, I paid you, you're going to do it. And then uh, you got ping pong going on, <laughs> and, and now both sides are mad at him. And, and then when they get confronted by the lord that sent him to the wizard's tower, they're like, I hired a troubleshooter to deal with you. And it's the same guy. It's the same guy that warned him earlier. He's just like, this is actually what I do. I just, you know, like, uh, warn people to do stuff. the same session. I was testing your resolve. See, uh, <laughs> the wizard that they'd gone to see previously, uh, he was taking a different form, and they see the antagonist attacking this other formed uh, wizard. Mm -hmm. And... I found out, like, one of my players really surprised me because he started helping the antagonist just, like, stomp on this wild beast. And I was like, ah! I, I hadn't even, that hadn't even occurred to me. Right. Well, they, they have a horrible habit. That's why I refer to my gamers as vile people <laughs> because they do this all the time. They're vile. Sir. One, oh. Example slash thought of oh, oh, adapting to your players and how they respond to things. In one game that was oh, a player in, oh, the GM presented this so oh, NPC ally that was supposed to help us. And during one battle, oh, one of my fellow players, he had this big uh, supreme attack that took him 10 turns to charge up. Mm. Oh, but by the time he finally got charged up, oh, all the. Oh, Mooks had died. <laughs> so he decided that ally is wearing black and red. I've got to shoot him. And to adapt to that, our uh, GM uh, turned him from a potential ally to the main villain's new dragon. Well, there you go, right? You know, one of the things I, I, that I. Well, I, what I, else are you going to do with a fully charged attack? I mean, you I spent know, 10 rounds. Dragon Ball Z RPG? Like, what are you. Plan. that I really enjoy doing in a story is turning my players' expectations on their ear, all right? And it's really difficult because they're vile people and, and I've used <laughs> most of my tricks. I hope they hear this podcast. I love you guys, but you're vile. Okay, now, with that said, I had a story where, and this was before Promethean came out, um, where there was the, this great evil icky-nicky spirit that was trying to steal bits and pieces of the best of. So like the best concert pianist to take her hands, so on and so forth, wanted to make her own Frankenstein, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So the spirit had the ability to possess bodies. At any time anybody's willpower got below five, that's when she would do it because she generally had the advantage dice-wise. She knew that this is when they were weakest. She could sense their weakness. By the time that was done, I had worked through and I had managed to get four players to kill each other. So it would players? possess... Oh, sorry. You got me on that one. Characters, <laughs> right? So the best one was my buddy, he, he, his character gets possessed, right? And he's playing this, like, NSA cleaner, right? And there's somebody else in there that had been stabbed. 
And so the spirit fill, filled his body, pulls out the 22, because that's what all good NSA cleaners have, put it in the, in the wound, puts it away, takes a knife, rubs it, and sets it down next to the player next to him. <laughs> the spirit moves to the next one and says, what's that? What? Ah, you, you killed him. And then chaos erupts, okay? If that's the kind of villain that you're doing where you're turning people against each other, be utterly and completely ruthless. Make them curse you as they go to sleep that night, okay? Because if it's not scary, if it's not dangerous, if it's not, if it's not, if it's not, they won't enjoy it because they'll be like, oh, that's not really, that's the spirit, right? And that goes from you, blankety, blankety, blank, I will blankety, blank you with a chainsaw, you blankety, I'm gonna kill you. And it only happens if you're gonna do it, go full bore. Question. So how do you keep your villains alive? Because in my experience, ah. players run fast. To... Cheat? No, I'm well, just kidding. Go ahead. I mean, like they take aboard their fate points, will points, or whatever they have, and just dump them all on the main villain as soon as they enter the scene. And mm -hmm. so... Oh, I've got a good answer for this one. All right, let's go. go. All right, so uh, one of my good friends is Chris Avalone, who's a writer on games like Fallout New Vegas, uh, and he co-tour two games I've already referenced. And uh, we had him on our podcast to talk about villains, and he had this really fascinating thing to say about it. He says, you know, what a good villain is is someone you can engage with without shooting them in the face. And there's ways to do that. And the, the ways to do that are to interact with him um, like he's a hologram when he shows up. Or uh, like in Arkham City, Joker appears on the television screen, right? So he and Batman can talk to each other, but they're not in the same room, so it's not instantly punch you in the face time. Right? So, yeah, if you have a really interesting villain and you want them to engage with the player or the characters, then you want to do that... Uh, through through some kind of cutout, right? So that it doesn't just simply erupt into, oh, well, I, I have all these bennies, I'm gonna spend them on shooting them in the face. Uh, the, you can have them meet on neutral ground, although that still has potential for shooting them in the face. Neutral you ground could, highlighter. You could have the, yeah, neutral ground highlighter. You could have the, uh, you know, see them through, you know, a, uh, some kind of window of force field and they have a conversation. Uh, there's actually a scene in, I can't believe I'm doing this, but there's that scene in uh, Phantom Menace where you have uh, Darth Maul and uh, Obi-Wan and uh, his, his mentor are all sort of interacting with each other with the force fields that are closed. So they have moments where they're not actually hitting each other with lightsabers. Stuff like that. And so I think you, that's a good you can answer. Talk about, that's the good part of the movie. I mean, you can talk about that part. <laughs> so a couple other thoughts. Yeah. A couple other thoughts on that. Number one, let him kill the villain. If they go after the villain and they, if they at home are sending you emails from their job when they're supposed to be working about, do I think he's allergic to this? Because I could put that in a peanut. If he's allergic to peanuts, I could get him with peanut oil. What do you think? Uh, you don't know if he's allergic to peanuts or not. Right? So if they're that determined to kill him, let him kill him. And here's what you do. Sometime later in the game, you find out he had a journal. And that journal was tied to the demon Gunigugu. And the demon Gunigugu gave him a little extra power so that he could be so whatever. And so his hireling now has that journal. And now they gotta go chase the journal and whatever poor schlep has the journal. So that's one thing. Second thing, let them kill the demon. <laughs> I'm a horrible person. Okay, so my evil vile players really hated the Torador um, primogen in, in my city. And, and they didn't know how she was doing it, but she was thwarting many of their business efforts. And they got to the point where their children present, but they had many derogatory terms, things that are just genetically not probable to happen, that they would say when you mention her name. Okay. And it was supposed to be a not violent enemy because they're both Camarilla, right? One of them snapped, and it wasn't the Bruja, and went after in the middle of Elysium. For those of you that are not familiar with neutral that by ground. the masquerade, it is neutral ground enforced by like, okay? And they had blood hunts called on him. And since it's Camarilla, it's a Camarilla blood hunt, it spread across the whole United States. They finally caught up with half the party in London and killed them there. So let them. And the consequences will give you a whole new story. And to this day, you mentioned Jacqueline, there's high fives, and if in the right environment, even shots exchanged. Well, I think you make an interesting point here that I like to say, too, is that 
it's okay for your bad guys to get curb stomped every so often. Oh, yeah. Because players love that stuff. Yeah. They will celebrate and high-five and say, man, remember that time we just totally raffle-stomped your villain? You'd be like, yeah. Yeah, you did. And, you know, it was great because I'm the player. I'm the player's biggest fan, and I'm, I'm happy that they are happy. They yeah. threw a party. Yeah. They shredded her and burned her and threw her ashes in the air. I'm not kidding. <laughs> See, now that's a successful GM right there. They right? hated you, they care about that. Um, I wish I'd have been there for that. Um, yeah, as a, as a game master, you don't have the luxury that a screenwriter or a novelist does to keep your villains alive and or viable... And, I mean, it's unpredictable, right? It's gaming. So, like, you have to accept uh, by default and be ready for um, that to happen. That said, uh, there are some game systems where you can do stuff like Fate has concession, where you can always name, all right, you get this, but I get to get this, and you can use that to protect villains, or the Doom Pool in Marvel that you can use to protect villains. Some uh, games have specifically plot armor for of various kinds for them. So if if that's an issue you have, consider running those systems. But otherwise, keep in mind, when you're talking about a villain in an RPG, that you're talking about somebody who may at some point in time have to directly confront three to six people, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So... Give them back up. Allow that right. Have that villain... Be prepared for that situation, right? Like, give, give them the opportunity to sort of set their their own unfair odds because that, A, creates two things. One, insurance for you so that the players are like, maybe we shouldn't immediately open fire here or whatever, but it's going to create a whole cycle of play where they get together and scheme about how to circumvent right. that. So, so you get some hours of... Of mileage out of that, right? Well, and there's always, if all else fails, there's always twin brothers, clones, shape changers, and imitators. Right. That's kind of what I meant when I. That's kind of what I meant when I said cheat. <laughs> and white wolf, in, in the white wolf, and I've done this. So in the masquerade, they killed him. They they killed this person as a vampire. The vampire became a ghost, became a wraith, came back as a wraith. In werewolf, I've had enemies, bitter enemies become somebody else's ancestral spirit. Oh, yeah, it's good times, good times. Okay. So, and then ask yourself, what are the consequences of killing this, this, this villain? I, you know, I pull a page out of our modern, out of what's happening in the real world. How many people do we have fighting in wars? And I'm not saying right or wrong. How many people do we have fighting in wars because their dad or their uncle either died because of this or fought nobly? Either way, it inspires them. So fine, kill my bad guy. That's okay. That's okay. Bob, his minion, who no one else ever loved or took care of, was a big friend of George, who you just killed. And you know what? Ten years from now, Bob's going to come get you. Well, a truly devious villain will have a Xanatos Gambit yeah. where getting killed furthers his plan. Yes. Just saying. Kevin Spacey. Yes. Just saying. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Are you saying Ben Kenobi was a villain? <laughs> From a certain no. point of view. From a certain point of view. Yeah, there you yeah. Go. that's well waiting for it. Daryl, I'm... Who else has a question? How can you create a compelling... How can you create a compelling... I guess the antagonist who is good. Oh, that's great! Have the guy... Language... Okay, so... No, really? Nobody got that one? Oh, come on. Uh, Avengers, go see it. Second one. Okay. Have somebody that has to be good. And, and good is a very flexible term. This is what I believe to be best, good, right, whatever. And we're going to do this. Okay? I, I, I will do this often in my vampire game. The prince says that has to there. go happen. <laughs> okay. So, and just so that you guys don't get out, out of line, think of the lethal weapon. What was it? Four where they blew up the gas truck? Okay? I'm sending Ross with you to make sure that you don't get out of line and you do it right. Well, now Ross is the good guy who's looking over our shoulders, and Ross is going to make sure that you dot your I's, cross your T's, whatever... Because if you don't, Ross is the one that's going to get in trouble. And that is a pain, especially if your players like to blow stuff up. <laughs> um, so uh, all that you need for antagonism is for the, the NPC 
to be either in opposition to the player's goals or the, the character's goals or the reason why it is difficult for the characters to get what they want. Fortunately for you, um, many player characters are sort of amoral types, right? Player character motivations aren't necessarily always heroic, right? So you have that. It's, it's exactly the same thing as he said. That character in Lethal Weapon 4 is on some level an antagonist because there's a period in the movie where that character is making it difficult for Riggs and Murtaugh to get what they want. They're a good person, right? They have, they have good motivations, right? They're trying to protect order and peace or whatever, but that still makes them an obstacle. Walter Peck. Right? Walter, Walter Peck. Well, Walter. Walter Peck. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he had a good motivation. Right. Um, right. And, you know, uh, I, I, so I think that that's, that that's what you need. When you want a character like that, what you need to do is look at the goals. Look very, very strictly at the, at the character's goals. What is it that the characters want? Right? And then what is a good reason why somebody might not want that to happen, right? Um, if you're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, player characters tend to have a lot of, like, weird stuff follow them, right? So if they're... Have you ever seen, have you ever seen the anime Trigon? So in the anime Trigon, there's this character, Vasta Stampede, who basically destruction kind of tends to follow this guy. The where, human typhoon. He goes, the human typhoon, right, they call him. And so two of the other characters are these insurance adjusters, that follow him around to try and mitigate or minimize the damage that he's going to do, right? And that makes them very often in a lot of episodes of that show, they are, technically speaking, Vash's antagonists because they're the ones that are, that are making it harder or not possible or whatever for him to do whatever it is that he's trying to do. Along those lines, what I... I talk about stories there being two types of stories. The one that goes over, through, around, and draws in the players, and then the ones, the, the whole Neo thing, okay? If you look at the story, and let's suppose that, I don't know, I'm trying to take control of this shipping Lots yard of over here. I'm not necessarily evil in the fact that I'm doing it, but I want the money, I want the influence, I want the power, that's going to be mine. You, however, decide that it's going to be yours, too. Now, we may both be on the same team, so to speak. You're a venture, I'm a venture. We both support the brands. We're good little ventures. Yay! Okay, but I'm not going to let you get it because that's mine and I'm going to have it. So maybe I do some things to kind of get in your way, you know, maybe a federal investigation or something, but whatever. And if you, if you structure it properly, it won't devolve to violence because it can't. Because... We have to answer to the prince, or the king, or whatever. Well, there's a, I want to jump Go in ahead. here. There's a couple of examples from film that I think are great, good characters that became antagonists. Uh, General Hummel from The Rock. Uh, if anybody's seen The Rock, yeah. probably my mm -hmm. favorite Michael Bay movie. Uh, he is a genuinely good person who wants a genuinely good outcome and is attempting to achieve that through the only way he knows how. Right, And he, he's the bad guy of that movie. Uh, Roy Batty from Blade Runner is also a guy who wants a genuinely good outcome and he in both cases were just like ah, there's really no choice but we have to kill this guy right uh, because they're opposing our protagonist because they're they're going about the things that they want in the way that is just not acceptable in that world Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive yeah, Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive yeah, that's, that's, that's even that's an even more sympathetic character yeah is the, I don't care yeah exactly yeah Right. Um, yeah. One variant on that. Uh, also, one really excellent way to make good people, otherwise good people, do bad things uh, is pressure. If somebody has leverage over somebody, somebody who's blackmailing them, or somebody has has their teeth in them somehow, they might not even want to be doing what they're doing, right? And you can make that clear in your portrayal of of the NPC, right? And that's one way of like providing a tactic that the piece is like, well. This person really seems reluctant. Like, it's clear that they've been sent to kill us, but, like, there are these circumstances where they pull back or, like, you know, they, 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 never, they never sort of commit to it. What's going on, right? And then, and then you can explore it that way. So that's another way. Of another way that you it. can do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Ah. Um, in White Wolf's uh, line, Changeling, uh, The Lost, you have pledges. 
and in which you can bind people to promises. You can do this also in an intrigue game or a politics game. I have this influence, and this influence supports your influence and furthers your goals. I know you want to get him. I don't want you to. If you go after him, I'm going to withdraw my support. And you and I, we've been bros for a long time, but I will seriously mess you up if you go after him. Make it cost. Make it cost. Whatever you're trying to do, make it expensive. Make it cost him status. Make it cost him money. Make it cost him health. Make it cost him peace of mind. I have to go do it. Otherwise, my daughter won't get her kidney. Whatever. But make it cost. And if you make it cost, even though they're allies, they like them, whatever, they will burn them to the ground to avoid paying that cost. Uh, any other questions? Uh, Are we formally at the end? To the audience and make sure we were so crystal clear in communicating that nobody has any questions. I, I do want to wrap up by saying and kind of putting a conclusion on top of it. The we've already gone through like the, the favorite villains, but kind of cap up what makes. Uh, what, what's the best thing you've seen in your role-playing stories as, 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 what are the best tactics that you've seen work out well for players in kind of hooking them in? I know we've, this is just a summation of what we've gone over mm -hmm. with the stories, but I want to kind of capstone it. I, I think it starts very, very much with, with what, what you said. It has to, the, any, any character who is costing the PCs something that's valuable to them or taking something from them that is valuable or standing in the way of something that is valuable. Like, that, those are, like, the three foundational... Like, whatever that is, make sure that that's a big deal. Um, and I think sort of all of the rest follows from that. Well, again, to slightly disagree with my esteemed colleague... <laughs> I have found no better way to motivate players than to steal something from them, to take something from them. And it can be the smallest thing. Right. I mean, I could steal your boots. Yeah. And they will follow that guy to the ends of the earth. So maybe it's not so meaningful, but it's, it's definitely a great well, prod it's, it's meaningful. It's meaningful to them. Or it becomes meaningful yeah, after the stealing. I, I suppose. Right? I mean, it's really just a pair of boots. But, but yeah, it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the way that but you get them to go boots. that direction. Those yes. are my boots. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's, my boots. So, so it can be a small thing. It can be a big thing. It can be like you took my wife and child. You took my nation. You took my honor. Or it can be you took my boots. And any of those will lead I, you in a certain direction. I have an example of that, actually, okay. very, very quickly. So have, how many of you have played and gotten to the end of Dragon Age Inquisition? Okay. Uh, how many of you are intending to play it uh, and haven't yet? Okay, well, without going into, like, two direct spoilers, right? Like, there is a, a significant chance that, uh, as in Mass Effect and some of the other Bioware games, members of your party might leave uh, at the end of the, the main plot. And you can continue playing the game after that, but not with those characters. So... One of these characters took some of the best gear <laughs> that I had. Like I geared was it like up, DLC gear? I, ge I geared up, <laughs> no, it was DLC gear. The DLC, but not then. Uh, I geared this character up for the final fight. And we won. And then that character ended up not coming back. And I, to this day, am so angry. No, this happened. That happened to me. That happened to me. In Dragon Age One. I, I put DLC gear on Alistair, and he owes me like three dollars. Right, he I took know, off, right. He took off he with took that gear. And so I can't get that back. I have resolved that if there is future DLC for Inquisition, where I encounter this character again. <laughs> I don't care what they want. Two dollars. There's going to be some problems. I want my two dollars. <laughs> right? Alright. So, I have a couple of thoughts to share. Um, the first one is, a lot of it depends on your players. Um, I have a guy, really, really smart, and no matter what I do, he refuses to show fear in his character. He could be the local city bean counter facing Godzilla, and it's, he's not going to show fear. It just will not happen. Okay, so know that, and know that if I'm trying to get at him as a villain, it won't be because I made him afraid of me, and now he's got to come beat me to prove he's strong or whatever. Just know that that's never going to happen with him. Okay, 
So know that and understand that you're not challenging the character as much as you're challenging the player. Get the player to bite that hook and yank it till their teeth fall out. Then you've got them. So you gotta figure out what's gonna motivate them. And a great way to do that is when they create the character, have them hand it to you on a silver platter. Say, Ross, right? Yes. Ross, I need you to write me a background for your character. It doesn't have to be anything big, just be bullet points. I've got, I've got an OCD guy in my game, six pages. I'm like, bro, you know, one side, one page. That's it, make it count. <laughs> and then I've got, I got a couple engineers and I'm lucky to get six bullet points. Okay. Secret twin brother of David Bowie. That's, a, that's background, right? My character. Okay. We need a new background because I don't even understand. But give me something. <laughs> and in there, I'll say, give me something that's important to you or whatever. And I said, but it's got to be really important. And you tell your characters that it's going to be really important. They know you're eventually going to come after that. It may not be now, maybe later, but I'm going to come for it. Or they're going to give it to me. Something's going to happen. And, and I'll look at that background and I'll keep track of who they like, who they don't like, who they hate, who they don't hate. And... For example, I have a, a girl in my D&D 5th Ed game who, she's a strong, powerful woman. I mean, in and of herself, she's, she's smart, she's beautiful, great mom, powerful woman. And the mere thought of some, I can't say what she calls him, bad man. Punk. Yes, punk, selling women and children in slavery. I have a slaver's guild is enough to make her teeth crawl. So guess what she, her character sees a lot of? Yeah, well, there's, there are certain, there are certain and, heinous crimes that will right. grab people. Slavery is a good one. And, and there yeah. was a pirate ship, and there was a big pirate battle. There was a slaver ship waiting off, off screen, so to speak, for whoever lost, they would just swing up, swing up. Oh, sure, come on in, crank. You're in the chains, right? She was ready to jump in a rowboat and row herself after the slavers all by herself with a dagger in her mouth like this. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, so have them give you something to work with, but don't abuse it. If you abuse it, it will lose its efficacy. Have them give you, give you something and then wait for an opportunity. Be a sneaky monkey. Wait for an opportunity to weave that into the story and they will love you for it and they will hate your villains and they will sing your praises till the days they can no longer game. That's a hard act to follow right there. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> well done. Oh.